Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars get together and study the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scriptural passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable for all and edifying for all as well, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are preparing lessons in the uh, upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amanda Drury. Amanda is a regular guest here on the show. She's a professor of practical theology and youth ministry at Indiana Wesleyan University School of Theology and Ministry. And she's a sought-after speaker, an excellent preacher, um, author of a couple of books and various articles that you can check out if you look her up on Amazon. And our guest this week, well, that's our guest, but our text this week is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, then through verse 25. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. When you're listening to the show, if you're enjoying it, uh, make sure to click on the share button on your podcast player app of choice so that you can hand this show along to others so they may benefit as well. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this episode with Amanda. What are we looking at? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Would you be willing to read, Amanda? Sure. All right. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks uh, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the foolishness of his cross that you regard, rightly so, as being uh, the greater wisdom. So, Lord, I feel a little awkward. Normally, I would like to ask you for things like, I don't know, wisdom <laughs> uh, when studying your word. And so, I 
want to be specific and ask that you would grant to Amanda and to I and all who are listening in your wisdom, not mere human wisdom, not sophistry that makes us sound clever, uh, but rather a true wisdom that is manifest in the foolish cross of your son, Jesus Christ. May that strange wisdom of yours be at work in our conversation today. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So what's, uh, what's grabbing you? What, uh, what observations do we want to start with today? Uh, just reading it out loud, I caught a certain cadence that I wouldn't have had I just been reading it in my mind. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's almost Seussical, Dr. Seuss, where, where you're playing with words and you get the feeling that there might be more than one meaning and he's making certain words sound like they should be backwards. Uh, it's, it, it feels very jumbled, deliberately jumbled. Huh. Deliberately jumbled. <laughs> Which I, might be the point of the passage. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I dig it. Boy, I, I find it. I like that you said. Susian, because it, it captures a sort of. I was having a little bit of an a sense of when I think of atmosphere. There's irony here, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I was tempted by a little bit of an eye roll. You know, here we go again, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Foolishness is wisdom, wisdom, yeah. and specifically the irony of him, sort of, you know. Where is the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater? And this kind of dismissal or <laughs> polemic against cleverness with words. And yet that's what he's doing. Yeah. He's being clever yeah. with words. I, I want to, uh, by faith, I want to recognize for now by faith and hopefully by understanding through the course of our conversation that it's more than just clever, but. There's just an irony in that and an irony that might not have been lost even on him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, we had a professor in seminary who would say like when he was doing public debates or whatever, and it, it would get a little, you know, he'd get in a corner and he'd go, well, I'm just a country preacher, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and he did, he had a Southern accent, but you know, teaching not in the South uh-huh. and he could rely on that. I'm just a regular guy thing. Hmm. Hmm. But it was so, you know, he's this Harvard trained lawyer and theologian who was obviously using, it was a trick. You know what I mean? Right, right. (laughs) Sorry, through it. (laughs) But we would laugh and we knew the irony was not lost on him or us. It wasn't, it wasn't a game that he was not unaware of. Hmm. Like if he was just totally unaware of the (laughs) silliness of that. Right. And there's a part of me that wants to think, especially because we've seen Paul kind of share his resume before. Like he oh, knows, yeah. he knows what he's doing. He knows he's, he's been a philosopher, shit. a scholar. He's been a debater. Yeah. He is all these things. I mean, even these terms are, are actually interesting. I would, I would be interested in, in studying those more. What does it mean to be a scribe? Grammatus in verse 20. Yeah. Debater. Sophos is different. I, I, he might not have never have thought of himself as that. The first thing, okay. the, the mm-hmm. wise man mm-hmm. or the, he might have always thought of that as a pagan kind of thing. Sure. But the second one, scribe, I mean, that's a kind of, that's like pretty straightforwardly, like what he went down to Jerusalem to sit at the feet of Gamaliel was right. to become a scribe and uh-huh. surely would have been a debater. Yeah. Which then makes the phrase of this age the more important term. 
This isn't right. How, how does yours translate that verse? We're looking at verse 20. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the yeah. wisdom of this world look foolish. Okay, that annoys me. Um, <laughs> typical. Well, the world's, the world's debaters, it's the scribes of this age, of this era, of this time that we're in. Okay. It's a time term more than a place. Hmm. Okay, you know? okay. And so I was thinking that might be performing a function there, like... You know, a scribe, but I guess world works um, too. There's debate and and research and wisdom according to this age and according to the age to come is what mm-hmm. I was trying to think. Through. Sure, sure. I find it interesting, and that maybe this is something to come back to when we're talking about sermons. But he says, okay, it's foolishness for the Greeks because they're asking for signs from heaven, and it's foolishness to the Greeks, oh, excuse me, foolish from the Jews who are asking for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. Yeah. And, and there's a sense in which I want to fill in that blank for today. Mm. You know, wh- where That's is nice. it? Where is it that I'm expecting the glory of God to be? Or I'm looking for it here or expecting it there. You know, what's my equivalent of these signs or human wisdom? <laughs> Maybe it just is signs and human wisdom. But uh But at least it's a it's it's worth asking and, and gets us and it presses us into the logic of the text. Is is Paul sorry, I'm I'm gonna take your your question there, the homiletical question and work backwards and sort of yeah turn it into an exegetical one to kind of ask like the dynamic of the text, the movement of Mm -hmm, the text mm -hmm. is this sort of a, well, there's different kinds of people and they look for different things Hmm. and, but it's, it, God overturns expectations. He's all, he's kind of on the opposite end of the, the spectrum of glory that you would normally see. So that'd be one way. And then that would set, if that's kind of the gist Uh of the argument, then that would be, not only a that would not merely be a valid, but I think even the the best direction to take it is then to ask, okay, what what do people now seek, or different mm. kinds of people mm-hmm. now seek? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to present that as one option. This is a general problem in hermeneutics and homiletics. Is kind of like how do you be faithful to the text? Yeah. Is it by looking for an analogy, or is and there's another possibility? And I'm not, I'm really I'm kind of open to either way. One possibility is actually like. This notion of like the wisdom of God and the power of God are actually the kind of driving ideas. And he's from that point of view, he's criticizing a sort of human and this worldly notion of of power and wisdom. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And it and I, I mean they're not mutually exclusive, but uh it's a constant problem in scripture applying scriptures, right? It's, right. It's like, oh, there are these things, and then we deal with those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or is it more, we need to learn this thing? Like, hmm. we need to learn what divine power and wisdom really are. Right, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, it would probably require a larger study of Corinthians, I think, to make a final call on that. I, I'm mixed. I, I think you could make a case either way, because he's obviously engaging in an, a counter, a, a debate with, you know, given that the rest of the book of Corinthians, clearly he has, you know, opponents yeah yeah and then also fans who want him to be their debater yeah yeah so he might be this language might be just primarily determined by the the language of the times so yeah okay and then in verse 25 
the foolish plan of God and God's weakness. (laughs) I mean, that's uncomfortable to talk about God being weak. And is it that God is weak just in comparison to us, or is it an actual Mm. weakness? I mean, this is just bizarre. And the question is whether it's just a... Trying to think of the the terminology, right? Whether it's a... What kind of play is he engaged in here? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because you just laid out the two ways of taking it, right? Right. Is foolishness a comparative statement? Uh Uh-huh. Meaning, which I think your translation nudges us towards. It does. Uh Uh-huh. And is clearly possible. Although... Paul, of course, writes in a very stark and unvarnished kind of way. Mm-hmm. It, he does not pull his punches at all. He just says, I mean, the, here's the language. It's like, well, 27 is clear. The, yours was that way. But yeah, 25. God's foolishness is wiser than human beings. Mm-hmm. And God's weak thing it could be weak thing. Might not be weakness. So we'll have to play with that. Stronger than human beings. How does you how does yours render twenty-five? The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Okay. So another way of putting this is was God foolish and weak before we were created? <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Yay! I just, because it's, you know, it's a rather philosophical question, Amanda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you usually tease me for asking those yeah, kinds of things. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I mean, now I'm just going to mention, I guess, that once you ask that question, then you realize that you, if you ask it that way, then it applies to God being wise too, right? Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, so Flush you said, up. is God foolish? And weak. Independently of us or in comparison to us right well that would also be true if god being wise and powerful <laughs> sure sure right because yeah. all of these terms are terms of, of excellence and of comparison hmm. so actually like all our god talk actually kind of starts to fall apart at either end of the spectrum of human language <laughs> that's good i don't yeah, think that's, that's paul's good. That's point good. but i think it's a plausible i think it, it, that insight is is gestured at in this Hmm. text because he's saying you know you want to know because the opening line right the word of the cross you know so i mean a kind of cross-centered knowledge of god has this kind of radical disruption to all of our preconceived notions of what constitutes deity yeah right right that's messed up. I, ke- I keep thinking of James as I'm re- reading through this passage too. The first chapter in James where it's talking about, um, mm. you know, everyone who doesn't have wisdom, they should ask for it. And God gives generously to all without finding fault. And then talks about the person without wisdom being blown and tossed by the wind. And I mean, this is all throughout scripture. This this tension of the Proverbs holding up wisdom. or yeah. uh, And then we've got and this. And Job. Paul's and then playing Job. the role of Job. Yeah, yeah. In the New Testament. Right. And James is playing the role of Proverbs, mm-hmm. Deuteronomy, you know. You do the right thing, things will go well with you. Right. I mean, that's too extreme, but yeah. Not what you said, what I said. Um, well, yeah, you could tell why Paul, 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about, we talk about Paul and James and play them off each other on the question of faith and works, yes. because they explicitly uh-huh. have a different take on on the same text. They like literally quote the same passages of from Genesis and interpret them differently, probably because they have a different notion of what the word faith means. But it's actually kind of fun to realize like, well, here's actually a related <laughs> but distinct topic yeah, yeah. is the way he's extolling. I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of us. And we, sh- we, sh- we should be careful about this. But, you know, as we move into chapter two, by verse six, he does say, yet we do speak of wisdom among those who are mature. So he is going to talk about wisdom positively. Yeah. But then I think of James by chapter three, he makes a differentiation between two kinds of wisdom. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Right? The wisdom from above and the wisdom right. from below. And so, in a way, at a deeper level, I think there's a continuity then between James hmm. and Paul, because certainly the wisdom that we're supposed to ask for from God is not the wisdom according to the flesh that just leads to, and it's it's yeah, cantankerous yeah. and debating. It's, it's similar. It's, the wisdom that Solomon is asking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that that is indifferent than the wisdom that leads to you beating other people in debates, which is exactly what James references in chapter three, where he talks about false wisdom is contentious and leads to division. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whereas true wisdom from heaven is gentle and pure and unhypocritical and impartial. Right. So Uh it leads to more, it enhances the community rather than breaking it down. (laughs) Yeah. And we can think of those two kinds of wisdoms operating even in our own time, a kind of, a wisdom that's just the cleverness of beating another person at debate. Sure. Having sure. a good zinger. Yeah. This might smooth things out too much, but I just I just thought here of of King Solomon, you know, asking for wisdom. He wants wisdom. God is pleased with that. And then when he threatens tells tells the the guards to cut the baby in half. I mean there there's a foolishness there hmm. in that. Hmm. You don't hmm. you don't tell guards to cut a baby in half. I don't want, like I said, I don't want to smooth it out too much, but but I, I can get a sense of how wise wisdom from above and wisdom from below might uh, correlate with each other here. No, I dig it. Yeah, no, I, I see. I see where you're going. You know what I don't like about any of this? What is people can use this as a cop out. People can do really idiotic things and then quote this. Yeah, I. I hear that. Let's- I mean, it, it's 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 the same thing when people talk about being hated by the world. No, you're just a jerk. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't count if they're. It, he says, "Bless you if you are persecuted because of me." Yeah, if yeah. you're just persecuted because <laughs> of you, that's on you. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Well, let's take a quick break, and and I want to come back to that. I think that's important. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Amanda Drury. And we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25 in classic uh, lectionary fashion during the holidays, uh, Lent, Easter, the, the kind of more, there's a tendency to just pull these texts kind of out of context. Although last time you were on the show was back in Advent and we actually had a passage it was the hundredth episode, right? Wasn't that the last time? It was. Do it was. And it was it was First Corinthians, it was the passage just before this. So there is that fun continuity. Yeah, we don't yep. have to talk about that. That just popped in my head. Sure. Um and we are going through Corinthians uh in the ordinary time uh this year. But we're kind of pulling this one out, obviously, with 
you know, Lent and the cross, the foolishness of the cross is, is wisdom. I, I love that you mentioned the abuse that this text can suffer. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's worth spending some time on. I, as I was thinking about this text, I, you and I had a friend. I, I mean, I, I knew him more than you, I think, but in seminary who I'd, I'd rather not say his name for various and sundry reasons, but it was Doug. <laughs> so Doug, yeah, we'll go with Doug. <laughs> So Doug is no longer a believer and he, and I remember him posting something a while back ago. I mean, this was a long time ago now, but saying something about how like first Corinthians one is like the kind of last ditch effort of hmm. uh, believers in their defense against uh, it's their last line of defense against mm-hmm. uh, the rational objections to to the existence of God or to the legitimacy mm. of the Christian religion. And he's kind of right. Like if he's just meaning, if just take it, you know, like you can see that happen when, you know, well, when all else fails, you can, you can kind of attack the character, the, 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 the arrogant character of mm. the person who's criticizing Christianity. It's a, it's yeah. a popular yeah. theme in like atheism to, Christian defense against atheism is, well, yeah, Christopher Hitchens is kind of a jerk. So that kind of, and if he was more humble, (laughs) you know, if we'd be, then you could see the, the wisdom hidden in the foolishness of the cross of Christ. And as a believer myself, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of right. But when I hear an unbeliever or former believer say that, I, I, I kind of get their objection. Hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, um, to the the abuse of this text. I don't think he was critiquing the abuse. He was just critiquing the text. He's like, sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. How do we? How do you like avoid that abuse? At least if it's an abuse of the text, how do we avoid this <laughs> just being a cop out? I don't know if I really think this. Let me say it out loud. Yeah, should it? I wonder if the times when I'm most tempted to say, oh, the foolishness of the world, blah, blah, are the times when I'm better off just being quiet, not mm-hmm. saying anything, not going for a defense. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, this is random, but you tell me what you think of it. I, this is a, a single story, but it's probably, hopefully it's emblematic of a larger pattern. I remember you and I and the Peelers, Amy and Lance, <laughs> now the audience has gotten to hear Amy a bit, rewatched as adults in our 20s. You know what I'm going to say? <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah. what? Oh, the, um, I wish they'd all been right. What is it? What is it? Thief in the night. Thief in the night. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, it's kind of cheesily done. So we were laughing at the quality, mocking it, of course. Scoffing. Scoffing. Yeah. Sitting in the seat of mockers. And doing some <laughs> sort of religious analysis and, and, but there was a scene early on when the, when the guy who ends up getting raptured while mowing that in that he's the first rapture guy in the scene, like the mower's just there running with nobody there. Yeah. Um, but when he gets converted at like a youth center, it's like early seventies. So it's like Jesus people style. They're like playing acoustic guitars and the, there's a girl who shares the gospel with him 
And she like walks them through the kind of standard Jesus took your punishment paradigm okay. for atonement, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And he goes, wait, but that's not fair for him to take the punishment instead of all of us. And she goes, but who said life is fair? She had this like response, <laughs> like, uh-huh, uh-huh. like she played the mystery card. Sure. Right? Yep. The foolishness card, you know? And I don't mean to pick on that movie, actually. I think, like I say, that's just a, that's a very striking example of a larger pattern, which is like when um, someone asks a question and we take the question as debating, as arrogance, and try to kind of set it aside to say, oh, well, God's, God's justice is different than ours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, God's wisdom is different than ours. Instead of saying, you know, like things like, you know, like, why didn't God heal my son? You know, instead of saying something, what would be more rational to say, well, apparently he can't. We say right. things like, yeah. well, he could, but he didn't. But that doesn't mean he's not all powerful. <laughs> and then you get pressed on that. You're going to fall back on this yeah. as well. His power is different. And, and so, yeah, I think it it is. It, it, I can see the problem that you've highlighted, and I think it's okay for us to to raise that, especially because in the case of the, well, that's not fair. Like, that could actually be a very believing objection. Like, you know, you could study the Bible and say, I don't know, maybe this isn't <laughs> this isn't how Paul would explain the death of Jesus and how it works. You know what I mean? Sure. So we can, that's my biggest worry is that we can use this to hide things that are just actually foolish Hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah yeah as opposed this is this is why i wanted to come back this is a factor in my worry about too quickly looking for the analogy Mm -hmm. to end to make sure we pay attention to the dynamic of the text to ask if paul himself like he's not just saying everything that seems foolish is actually wise this isn't a general theory of knowledge right this is a very specific statement about the nature of the proclamation of the cross. Hmm. Um, and I think we'd be at the greatest danger if we started importing other things hmm. that were hmm. important to us that we hmm. aren't in a position to defend yeah. as plausible and hide behind the foolishness. At the same token, that could just be my arrogance and my the fact that I'm a sophist. and <laughs> We'll never know, mystery. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> uh how long ago would the anointing of David taken place? I know, that, I know that was a recent lectionary passage. Oh, the text. I was like, well, a thousand years before this? <laughs> 3,000 ago for us? Oh, so, yeah, the second Samuel text, I think it would have been a Christmas season yeah, text. Yeah. So we're all the way in Lent now, so it's yep. been a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but go ahead. What, what were you thinking? Oh, this passage always, make all the connections you want. always comes to mind when when – Samuel is looking for which one of Jesse's sons to anoint. I mean, that's Saul and David in a sense. I mean, it's, it's, this is why I don't like ending the passage at 25 because that comes out better in 27 where he talks about election and it might even be relevant for, for interpreting what what this means i know it sounded awkward that attempt to translate like verse 25 because it's the moron by the way the word for foolishness oh is that's moron. fantastic so good 
So the moron of God, but it's not <laughs> like it's not an abstract noun. It's it's sorry grammar moment. It's a neuter singular. Okay. Okay. So which could work as an abstract noun, foolishness. But it could mean the fool, but neuter, not it, it'd be morose if it was a person. Okay. A man, it'd be more off if it was a woman. But moron would be a foolish thing, hmm. right? A shameful thing, a stupid thing. Um, but that's how you would – sorry to be rude, but I mean we hear the word moron and we think oh, you that is how you would speak of a child. You'd use the neuter. Hmm. So it, it could be – I mean I, I don't want to push this too far. But if we think of it as the foolishness of God and – what is God's as an attribute of God that created all those puzzles that you raised earlier. And like I say, actually the puzzles apply to all God talk. So it actually is kind of a a (laughs) (laughs) cul-de-sac, but if we think of it as the fool of God, Hmm. the the, the foolish thing, the foolish object, the cross, I think he might be talking about the cross. Hmm. Um, Then it starts to make sense a little, that fits with the next, right? When he talks about them first, consider, he says, verse 26, your calling, not many of you were wise according to the flesh. Not many were strong. Not many were noble. But God has chosen the mora, the foolish things of this world, right? To shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world. So there's that thing talk. Sure. So you could introduce the thing talk all the way back in 25 if you wanted to talk about the, f- the foolish thing of God. <laughs> I know that's super weird sounding. Sorry. <laughs> but it's that word of chosen. Yeah. I'm I'm actually sorry. This is my long way of saying, yes, great insight about David. Like the choosing. God chose David. And he's often choosing the younger <laughs> and the less capable, the smaller. Even Israel itself has been elected. You, it, there's a line in Deuteronomy that's like, oh, Israel, you were... The smallest of all the nations and insignificant, but because I chose you, you're now going to be great. Yeah. So this is just kind of the way that God works. Just wondering what it would be like if Jesus had an older brother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean. That's a whole can of worms right there. Yeah. Well, you know, well, of course he certainly could have had older if, uh, if Joseph had been sure. I don't know. Now I'm just going to be silly and just say that Paul like would be the perfect person to cast in that role. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He's, I bet Paul was an older brother. I bet Paul was an oldest sibling. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Don't you feel it? Don't you sense it? Either that or an only child. (laughs) An only child. He's definitely not the youngest (laughs) or middle. Yeah. Forgot about the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you did. (laughs) So let's just forget the the doctrinal problems with the question about Jesus. What's interesting about that to you, just as a thought experiment? I think what's interesting to me is that there is perhaps life and wisdom not just in the things that I consider foolish, but things that I don't even consider at all. Hmm. Can you give an example? Or is that what's too hard to do because you don't consider them at all? 
Uh, the story that came to mind is long and probably too out there. Okay. But it involves <laughs> Nazis, nuns, and urine. Oh, jeez. Can I tell it? Should I tell it? Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, Bruno. Landaro, is that his last name? Okay, let me just see how quickly I can tell this. Uh, he's a teenager during World War II, Jewish teenager. He escapes through one of the kinder escape programs, goes to England. His dad and uncle are imprisoned. Uh, they're eventually snuck out. They're bribed out by British intelligence. And after the war, they move to Israel, and he's looking around, and, and uh, Bruno becomes obsessed with this desire to repopulate the earth with Jews. Uh, he sees this as a calling. You know, his job is to is to bring back the six million Jews, six million new Jews, which is ridiculous. You know, that's its own kind of foolishness. And he becomes a doctor and studies uh, reproductive health and manages to identify something in the urine of postmenopausal women that stimulates <laughs> ovulation. So in other words, there's something about the urine and uh, that, that makes it easier to have a baby, especially if you're struggling with infertility. So he goes to this pharmaceutical company in Rome and makes this huge pitch uh, trying to get funding for this. And he's before the board and the board just their, their response to him is, uh, we are a drug manufacturer, manufacturer, not a urine collection agency. <laughs> and then he leaves. Uh, but soon after, one of the guys on the board calls him back a week later, seven days later, and gives the exact same pitch again. They said word for word. And at the end, this board member pipes up and says, and my, my uncle is Pope Pius something. And he has already offered to donate uh, the urine from this particular old person's home. Oh my and so over the next, well, I think it was like 20 years or something, there were these truckloads of urine going oh from from this nunnery to to this pharmaceutical company and now they've they've found synthetic ways of doing this but i think it was in the early 1960s where the first jewish baby was born using this technology uh and i i share that to say things that you don't even consider the things that i not not to be crass but I wouldn't think of using urine for something. It's not even that it looks like foolishness to me. It's it wouldn't even register. It's not even not even on there. I think it's beautiful because it well, two things. First, I like it when you don't edit yourself. So little little clue for our <laughs> listeners. Mandy's always has some random thing that she thinks of and she thinks, oh, that's not relevant, and she doesn't <laughs> say it. And you said it. And I loved that story. It was really, really, really good. Hmm. Really, really, really good. Sorry to tease you in my compliment. But oh, you're alas, fine. That's kind of how we <laughs> were. And the second thing I wanted to say is that story is helping me at least kind of go back then to say, what what is it that Paul was seeing in the event of Christ's crucifixion? Yeah. That reframed his way of thinking about um, himself and his congregation sure. in Corinth. And not to go in like too far of a sort of National Geographic sort of <laughs> study, but the the way that crucifixion would have functioned hmm. was primarily as an agent of terror and shame. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, sadly – 
are modern representations of the cross tend to either be airbrushed or sort of torture porn, you know, yeah. overkill, right. Mel Gibson and lesser forms, uh, less extreme forms of that, but still kind of a, oh, look at how much pain he had. And the pain matters. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's just basically no commentary on the pain. It's not highlighted in the mm. gospel narratives. What's highlighted is the shame more than the pain, right? Yeah, yeah. Usually crucified naked, mm-hmm. out on a sh- main road to intimidate, to show the power of Rome, but also to bring shame on the community, right? Anybody who is even related to someone who's been crucified would suffer a social loss, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think Paul would have was just thoroughly attuned to the the honor shame dynamics built into the the crucifixion. And I mentioned that because you talk about urine. I mean this is waste, right? Yeah, this is yeah. this is the um you know the word Gehenna that gets translated hell sometimes. Right. It was also the name of an actual place that it was used as a metaphor for that. And it was a waste place. It was a place where you put dead things, right? So that they could rot. Um, hmm. I bring that up because again, we tend to think we we think hell, we think fire and punishment. But that's just one set of metaphors. There's a whole metaphor that hell as just the wasteland, hmm. a, a garbage dump. You know? Yeah. And where are they crucified? Outside, Outside. the city, mm-hmm. yeah, where the garbage goes. And I wonder if if part of Paul's why Paul was so disturbed by the competitiveness, the competitive cleverness or the clever competition among the Corinthian leaders <laughs> yeah, and followers. Yeah. That's important. Was it was just like, this is, you guys are arguing over who's, who's more clever at, at making, at, at singing the praises of, of garbage. <laughs> like there's garbage right in the middle of our gospel and you don't see it. Yeah. You know, hmm. like he says in Philippians, you know, I consider it all garbage. Yep. Refuge. Dung. So I, I think Paul would immediately hear that story and say, yep, that's the wisdom of the cross right there. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Waste. Waste. Things you'd be embarrassed of. Uh, a calling to be embarrassed of. You know, that that's that's a foolish calling to say you're, one person is going to repopulate uh, the, the resource certainly is foolish. And even the fact that he goes back to the board a second time is foolish. And that he says the exact same thing again. Yeah. Foolishness all the way down. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it's been fun. Let's take a quick break and talk about some sermon starters. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Here with my guest Amanda Drury, and we are looking at First Corinthians chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty-five. First Corinthians eighteen through twenty-five, which is the epistle lesson for the, uh, I believe it's the third Sunday of Lent. Uh, so we don't have to talk Lent preaching uh, if we don't want to, but but you can have that framework in mind if you'd like. Let's explore some sermon starters. What directions might you go with a text like this? So I keep hearing a phrase in my head 
that I think I want to play with, and that's the wise fool. Mm. How, how to be a wise fool or um, compared to foolishly wise, perhaps. Huh, I like it. Yeah. The wise fool. Sophomore. <laughs> Remember that as hearing that when you were a kid? Yeah. Sophomore means wise fool. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. sofa uh-huh, is sophus, uh-huh. which is the word in verse uh, uh, 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the sophus? Hmm. Or the philosopher. I think yours had it. Although that's a different Greek word, philosopher. And then sophomore, moron. <laughs> so the, like literally both of those words appear here. Yeah. Hmm. A wise fool. And tell me more of this idea, the wise fool versus the foolish versus wise foolish, man, yeah. the foolish sage. Foolish wise man. So it's like, okay, I think I see, I think I see what you mean. Yeah. 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 And I, I think I might even start by giving a whole bunch of examples on pointing out where we see wise fools in scripture, maybe something, mm. something quick, that kind of that rhetorical moving and moving, moving, moving until you get to the end. And then you're talking about life out of death. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're ending up at the crucifixion here, but to see this is, this has been, this is all throughout scripture here. And it almost culminates to the very cornerstone of our mm-hmm. faith that somehow there is, there is life and death. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking of, um, of, of, Passages that where Jesus talks about children, you know, the kingdom of God belonging belonging to children, or the woman who's anointing Jesus' feet, you know, what a foolish act there. I don't think I'd spend a whole lot of time on that, but but I think I'd I'd frame it first of all, just to show people this is this is woven all throughout Scripture. Yeah, no, that'd be very Pauline too, is because I mean Paul's not saying one of the mistakes we can make is you say. You hear him say Jews, and we think, oh, yeah, the people of the Old Testament, right? He's right. talking about <laughs> his own Jewish brethren and their attitudes towards his ministry. And more specifically, I think even Jewish Christians over against hmm. uh, Greek Christians, right? Even yeah. within the community, you would have both Jewish and Greek elements. And their their preceding experience and culture would have effects on their values and what they want. Hmm. And it's not like... Whereas, like, I mean, Paul's whole mind is shaped by the Bible. He wouldn't call it the Old Testament, the Bible, uh, and and would regard and and we can see from his other writings that he regards this as the pattern. This is how God works: the selecting of um, the lesser to shame the greater. This is a, this is a deeply Israelite scriptural, yeah, yeah, concept. And so, pattern, <laughs> I should say. And so, like, to in Paul's imagination, he's like. Well, the, the fact that the Messiah is crucified, though at first seems like an absolute contradiction, is actually in perfect line with the whole trend of yeah. Scripture. This yeah. is exactly how God works. Yeah. This is exactly his way of, of doing things. Yeah. If you object to this as too weak, then you can't fall then you can't fall back onto the claim that God has elected us because that was him electing a weak thing. <laughs> right. The electing right. a weak thing to shame the strong is just God's way of doing things. Yeah. And you can't pick and choose then. No, I like it. I like that that going through and hitting a bunch of key moments. Uh what were some ones that come to mind just on the fly? Uh so we mentioned David earlier. Yeah. Young anytime there's a younger brother. Yeah. That that God is using. That Solomon trick was clever. Yeah, Solomon. Um, the quote from Deuteronomy. The five loaves of bread. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's foolish. Here you go. 
5,000 yeah. people. Here you go. I mentioned the woman anointing Jesus' feet. Hmm. You know, wasteful. And then the the twist of those who... Oh, oh, marching around Jericho. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you're yeah. not actually doing anything. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Or sending, Gideon, out, sending out the priests first. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Gideon cutting down the group. So you're small. Yeah, so yeah. That God, so that it's clear that it's God who did the fighting. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'd spend a whole lot of time on that, but but you could play with the rhetoric and kind of get going in a, in a well, it, pattern. Just as an aside, I think it's important to do those things from time to time, especially to not give the false, the incorrect impression that like, Oh, until Jesus came, the Bible was all about being strong and wise and tough. Yeah, yeah. And then Jesus, oh, he flipped that on its head. Well, yes, but yeah, not really. It's like totally the pattern all along. I remember someone saying, if you read the Bible really fast, it's this story of, you know, heroes and and, uh, heroes of the faith. You read it slow and you realize, oh, they're all just a bunch of idiots and sinners too. You know, Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, And and I think we've got to remember too that people don't know the Bible. Yeah. That uh, there's there's even the the secondary benefit of just getting snippets of stories along the way. Um, you know, you can't just say think of Gideon or think of. You, you've got to add a little bit of a little bit of context there. And if you can keep it just short, just enough that it's going to grab someone's attention. What he cut down the army. So so showing the theme, but also giving people a taste Do of a scripture, especially when you're preaching from the lectionary and you're tending to, to focus on, on one text. And sometimes, you know, you can miss out on some big picture mm-hmm. type things. Mm-hmm. I'm grinning. Why are you grinning? Year. Cause I don't think you and I are, are really preachers at heart. We're Christian educators. <laughs> 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 like my father before me. Right. Hmm. But, um, I mean, you're an amazing preacher, but even when you preach, I know you've got little sort of like, You've got these sort of Christian ed sort of like paradigms behind a lot of your choices. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's part of what makes you a good preacher um, is you think about that. You think about those educative benefits, you know, so something that could be an aside also has is performing additional right. functions. And I have a real, I make that mistake all the time and dear listener, you know, hear us out. I think a lot of times an awareness of biblical illiteracy is a two-edged sword because some preachers' awareness of biblical literacy, illiteracy makes them say, well, they don't know anything, so I have to just talk about what they can handle. Yeah. So I need to – let's read a passage and just talk about that because they can handle that because that's what's in front of them. Yeah. And there's some truth in that. But uh, what it is is to not just make an illusion but actually walk them through it. Right, Walk them right. through the, the reference. Because the fact is, is people people who know the scriptures are going to enjoy seeing the connections. They're not going to mm-hmm. be turned off mm-hmm. by it. And those who don't are getting a chance to hear those stories. Although there is a part of me, you know me, I'm a less is more guy. Right. There is a part, a big part of me that would want to say, ah, maybe pick a couple really good ones yeah, that really yeah. fit. And there, there's, there's a build war- momentum. There's a warning the in there too. So oftentimes, if I'm if I'm teaching a preaching class and I'm hearing people preaching their first sermons, a common mistake that they always seem to make is they start by saying, "Now let me give you some context here," and then half of their sermon is like the backstory, the whole explaining backstory. why this and that. And, uh, and partly because it's the first time they're learning it for themselves. Right, right. So they're doing their homework they're, in front of yeah, you. Yeah, they're doing yeah. their homework in front of you. Yeah. And so, um, and, and you don't want to give your congregation the impression that they're not going to understand this passage unless they know everything the before there. Uh, so, so again, short snippets. Um, 
little vignettes, L- little little vignettes, but not necessarily that build upon each other. You you can understand this without it, but it's helpful to see those along the way. I love your contemporary example. I think people should just tell that story right out of the <laughs> gate. Story about the pee. Yeah, <laughs> um, his last. I think it's Lunenfeld. L u n e n f e l d. Maybe something but I, like that. I, I, I imagine if someone typed in, I found nuns the story. Urine, that was actually how I found the story. Because you were interested in urine. Well, because I remember hearing events. somebody talking about selling nuns urine and people making a bunch of money off that for people to drink. Okay. Like something crazy there. And I was looking for a crazy example of something. I have no idea why I was Googling. Okay. Googling nuns and safe search on. <laughs> safe search on. Yeah, I did. Uh, and, and this story popped up. And then I, I just got enamored yeah. with a story and left the other sure, project yeah. behind. It was just some other. And it might have just been a made up story. The other thing. But it got you to find the. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I think it's a great story. It's a funny story and engaging and a great, just great example of. And because it's a story about the Jews and their suffering, it puts you in solidarity hmm. with the the Jews in this story, not as like the bad guys who want power. Well, they're, they, they, they care about the power of God because they're suffering so much. And so yeah, you care, yeah. you want God to powerfully demonstrate himself. You know, I think it's really powerful. And then to, to link into some other stories and to, to bring in the cross itself. I, I was looking, just glancing at, some old traditions, and I'm not saying this is something your church would have to be doing for this to be relevant. It could just help us see it in a fun way. There's a very ancient practice of preparing for baptism during Lent, uh-huh. um, building yep. up to Easter. And the third Sunday of Lent that this is for is like a like a check-in. Like Usually in some churches, you'd even have the people who are going to get baptized would stand up huh. and say like, huh. and would like, do a little sort of check in and everyone else checks in. Like, am I living up to my baptism and remembering my baptism? And, uh, and I bring that up to say that this notion of God choosing the weak to shame the strong and just the foolishness, the foolishness of baptism of this like notion of like, you know, taking a bath at church in front uh, of a bunch of people. Yeah. 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 And then also just the symbolism of it, of dying and, and being lifted up and being chosen and included in God's family, not because of anything I have to contribute. Right. Right. Um, but precisely because I don't. Yeah. Um, and for in a lot of uh, missionary contexts today, and very much so in the early centuries of Christianity, uh, the decision for someone to be baptized was a moment of significant could be a big break in your reputation and your family connections. You know, you could be what you're doing could be seen as foolish, um, a foolish choice. Right. So to be encouraged that the foolish choice uh, is, is in fact wisdom. You know where I think I'd go next, or maybe just even in the first place, I think I would try to move away from reading this individualistically so, mm-hmm. so maybe you don't go into the story of of David and and Solomon, uh, but but you find more of the group, the groups where this happens, and then, and then asking the question, what would it look like for us to to be a foolish church, mm-hmm. and and to identify even some how how we spend our money, how we view the refuse in this city, what are we willing to do with our reputation? Are are we willing to be known? Yeah, no, that's good. So then you do you do. You do the Jericho might work. The Gideon definitely works. Right. And the exile, I think, is a key sort of moment. The, you know, the, 
this people of God has been scattered around and but God chooses to to bring them back home. Yeah. Um yeah. because he's elected this tiny little nation to be his. Yeah, no, I dig that. I think that's right. And he's speaking clearly to a community audience and a community that's based on the previous section suffering from considerable division um often in a form of a kind of debate and everyone kind of has their favorite teacher and yeah and boy does that resonate still to this day do you know what i mean and so because you talked about the the resources and how we interact but also just our internal life as a community um are we engaging in kind of one-upsmanship and you know yeah competition over you know having something to say hmm Wanting to get our voice heard. I'm struck by going back to what you said earlier about when I'm inclined to appeal to the wisdom of God as an escape hatch, which I don't think Paul's doing here. He's actually asserting it in a forward yeah. way. Yeah. When I'm using the wis- the wise foolishness of God as an escape, that, that might be a time when it's time to be silent. Yeah. At the very least, maybe to take a deep breath. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you go back to the passage, what is it? Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Maybe the whole point of this all is that we can't figure out what the wise thing to do is because God's wisdom is, is just so different. It's, mm. you know, he's saying it's, it's the opposite here, but it's, it's so unfathomable to us. We can't follow it. Uh, which is why we need to be following closely behind Jesus. Like like there's a dependency there to know who we're supposed to be and where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do, because we cannot come up with that kind of wisdom ourselves. Mm-hmm. But you know where that way takes us, <laughs> right? Takes yeah. us to Jerusalem, takes us to the cross. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a reason why we rely on our own uh, understanding. It actually, at least in the short term, is the safer move. It's pretty dangerous to yeah, well, and it, you Hop know, it, it makes Jesus sense. Boat. It's easier to build churches yeah. with worldly wisdom. Oh, boy. I mean, yeah, this, this passage sticks right in the crawl of yeah. all of our, all the wisdom that we've assembled to build our local churches, denominations, yep. Yep. parachurch organizations, universities. Yeah. And, it's and really I, hard to build buildings with with the rubbish oh, of the cross. It is. It is. And and I think I would I would pull I would make that tension just as thick as I can in terms of not knowing, okay, do we save our money? Do we give it away? Like trying to paint some big mm-hmm. big things where where people where you really don't know what to do. Uh and then and then lead up to that. Yeah, we we don't know. And that's kind of the point here. But to really really highlight that tension of even when you want to do something good. Oh, oh, I I had a great story. One of my one of my colleagues just last week, pulled out a Keurig little thing, you know, something to make coffee. And he pulls it out. And uh, he's he's talking about this very sustainable coffee. He spent so much time researching what kind he was going to get. It's biodegradable, this and that. He really, really was very quite proud of this. And then he pulls it out. And it's this Keurig cup that's completely wrapped in plastic. Each one is is in its own individual bag. <laughs> I think to keep it keep it from getting crushed. And he pulled it out and he was just throwing up his hands like wow. I put in all this time, all this research, I'm trying to be good and this is what I end up with. And and just this thought that, you know, my my very best. Like he put in so much time to what kind of coffee he was going to get that was going to make 
make sense for the world. And even his best efforts were almost worse than, than you know, getting a certain kind of Where box. is the wise man? Where is, Where the, is the debater? <laughs> Where's the researcher? Ooh, I think I like that story. I think that's getting at something, you know? Because, man, these Corinthians, from the little we know, again, you don't need a 10-minute lecture on, let me give you the whole story of Corinth. But, man, they're chasing every little idea, every cause, every you know, every new thought that comes their way. Mm-hmm. They're, they're getting caught up in it. They're clearly uh, susceptible to a kind of uh, ideological capture, to use a term, technical <laughs> term, you know, but That's getting good. caught yeah. up in a – yeah and. Paul's word of the cross here is this gauntlet right at the beginning of the letter hmm. that sets the the terms to say that the question isn't which of these fads to get caught up in, <laughs> right? It's a, it's a whole different value system in yeah. which then yeah. you can yeah. participate in those. So there's nothing wrong with with uh you know engaging uh in you know researching a responsible choice. Right. But notice and I don't know about your your colleague, but there can be an anxiety built into that, a mm. kind of anxious striving. Oh, I get that. I have that. To I do have the that. right yeah. thing, to, yeah. to get the right idea, yeah. to make to make life just a little bit better. And the fact that at the heart of our faith, at the center of our faith, is something that belongs on the rubbish. Yeah. Rubbish? Rubbish. 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 There it is. On the rubbish heap. Hmm. You know? And there's a part of me that wants to say, like you said, oh, you should really feel the burn, you know, before we, and there was, I was feeling tense and thinking Uh like, yeah, uh but what's like the solution? And I'm kind of like, you know, if there's any time of year to have a sermon that doesn't make your life better, (laughs) but is just a word of proclamation of the truth. Yeah. Yeah. That if anything is removing all of our attempts to, I'm not saying the gospel and Christianity doesn't make your life better. I'm inclined to say this is I, I I don't I love the church year I could care less about the lectionary it has ups and downs but like in terms of the church year it's kind of like that's what ordinary time is for that's why the color is green it's growth right and it's eight months of the year yeah we have eight, yeah yeah and even in churches that don't acknowledge that and just kind of have a kind of Christmas and Easter season okay well surely like in the build up to Easter that, that is Lent whether you call it that in your church or not. There's got to be a place for a little bit of straight word of the cross proclamation. Yeah. Because that's the verb that we get here. The only verb, most of the verbs are about God. Oh, God is choosing. God is huh. shaming. The only verb that is attributable to Paul and his team and to the church, right, is proclaim. Right? It's all It's all divine action. But verse 23, but we proclaim Christ yeah. crucified. Which fits the opening line, the word of the cross. Hmm. You know, I mean, this is a this this has got to be teaching and preaching and studying this text. There's there's got to be an element of just the sheer word. Hmm. You know, hmm. this is a time to say, you know, you know, but but how can I make that more attractive? Well, isn't that what Paul's questioning that drive <laughs> yeah, to make yeah, it more attractive? Yeah, yeah. How can I make that more practical? Uh, isn't that right? This yeah. is maybe one week when we need to to avoid that good instinct that most sermons should do. But yeah. I think in this case, it needs to just stick out like a sore thumb, well, which and- is why I say tell stories. Yeah. Because yeah. stories can just stand there 
and not walk you through the whole moral. <laughs> right, right, right. So some contemporary stories, some biblical stories, mm-hmm. some stories from Paul's life, and the the central story of the story of Jesus himself. You know, uh, you know and, and it can be easy to romanticize foolishness yeah. in here. I think what stops that in its tracks for me is when I ask the question, do I want a reputation as a fool? Yeah. And just that word reputation, you know? Well, I want I want God to see this in me, but I don't want other people to look at me and legitimately think that I am foolish. Yeah. But it sounds like that's the only way. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for giving an hour of this time. And thanks to all our listeners for listening in, too. I know we kind of left you. We, we haven't... Uh, it's like two or three in a row where we haven't like, you know, mapped out exactly what they should preach. But you know what? <laughs> They'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it'll be just fine. Beautiful passage and beautiful time to be with you, Mandy. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation. I always love talking scripture with you. Yeah. As always, thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to all you our listeners for chiming in and for getting the word out about the show and especially to our patron saints who are supporting the show financially. I don't see a penny of that. I have a day job, but that goes to help the production team behind the scenes and all the, the, the time and uh, effort and equipment that they use to make that happen. So thank you so much. And if you haven't uh, signed up to become a patron saint, please do just go to patreon.com uh, forward slash fresh text to see what your options are there to support the show and get some bonus content. And with that said, uh, we say, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>